Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. I am so excited to each week be able to bring you thought leaders and best-selling authors and people that are just going to do what they can to help you find a more fulfilling life, if that's what you're looking for. So today on the show is no different. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Pete DeVigny, author of Decoding Your STEM Career, consultant and speaker. Pete has held senior technical executive positions at large global companies such as RIM and Dematic, leading hundreds of technologists around the world. His goal has always been to develop great products that leave a lasting impact on society. His book, Decoding Your STEM Career, has earned the title of one of the best sellers chosen from Business Experts Press's vast collection. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Oh, it's great to be here, and thank you for having me, Casey. Absolutely. And so where are you hailing from today? I'm in Toronto. Yeah, I, uh, I wish I could turn my screen around and you could see the, the beautiful skyline here, but I was a bit concerned about uh, the lighting and the shadows, so you'll have to look at the blank wall instead, unfortunately. <laughs> I have one of those when I'm in my at-home studio, too. It's just literally a blank wall and a little bit of a door frame, you know? <laughs> so I totally get that. Well, thanks for joining us. And, you know, and I think the reason I asked that question is because, you know, this Zoom and all these other technology tools, they've brought us all so close together, right? Like, you and I have never met in person, but through the power of technology, we were able to meet today. Yeah, we, we can. And it's, as we all know, no different at, at work. Uh, sometimes I, I fear that we lose a little something through it, that, that closeness, the friendships, uh, the camaraderie, and, and even the innovation that comes with, with just being face-to-face -face with people. But but the tools at the same time are, are amazing and they're becoming, you know, increasingly uh, similar and close to, uh, to real life interactions and what you can do. But uh, I think we all have to learn how to use these tools effectively. You know, and I'm so glad you said that because I, I, I normally, my first question that I normally ask is how did we get connected? And for us, ours was not a, necessarily a relationship-based connection. It was your media company reached out to us and said, hey, this might be a good fit for your podcast, um, which I believe is Finn Partners. And we were like, oh, that's great. But I, I want to kind of go back to what you just said, because during the pandemic, there were a lot of um, organizations that had to pivot, like especially networking groups, because you know I really want people to know that first and foremost, networking is the most important tool for your career. Right? Would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and 
we did the best we could during the pandemic. And I know that, you know, I joined a networking group that was started out during the pandemic. So it's 100% virtual. But I also belong to a local organization that had to go virtual during the pandemic. And once we got back in person, I was just like, it's just a different energy, you know, when you're talking about that face to face, like you were saying. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think when you look back at at a long career, and and I worked for 37 years in a variety of corporate jobs at a variety of levels, and and maybe the greatest joy that I felt coming out of that career are the human interactions that you have mm -hmm. with people, which which is face to face, and it, it's such a a mind shift and a head shift and. That, that we have to go through to figure out how do we recreate that that feeling over a long period of time, not the instantaneous or short-term gratification we get out of saving time by not having to drive into the office each day, but looking back over a long period of time, am I as satisfied working at home with limited face-to-face -face interaction as I would have been had I had a chance to be face to face with people day in and day out. And uh, there are pros and cons, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of those pros and cons during the next uh, next little bit. But uh, but certainly I think we have to be careful and 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 we we need to find a way to maintain all the goodness that came with face to face interaction uh, in our careers as, as much as in our personal lives. You know, that's so interesting that you say that because I actually work a hybrid schedule right now. And I'm so Friday through Monday, I'm at the house and, you know, my significant other travels quite a bit. So I'm usually there by myself with my two puppies, you know, so I start talking to them like they're human by about yeah. Sunday, you know, <laughs> so, but it's so interesting because when I get back to the office on Tuesday, I'm so excited. And I'm like gushing and I'm like telling my coworkers, I'm like, I'm so glad to see you. And they're like, Casey, you just saw us last week. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm so glad to be yeah. here with you today. And I mean, they're like, okay, good to see you too. You know, <laughs> I don't think they understand. And, and, you know, and I think different people react differently to it. And, uh, but I do think you have to really assess it over a longer period of time and what the gains are and what the losses are. And, and it's hard to tell after a week or a month or even a year. I think I think the horizon we have to look at is longer than that. I absolutely agree. Okay, so Pete, tell me about yourself. What inspired you to write your book, Decoding Your STEM Career? So, um, without too much, you know, detail or boredom, I'm an engineer by by background. Um, I would always classify myself as a as a good engineer, not necessarily a great engineer there were certainly many people that i felt were stronger than that than me in whatever aspect of engineering i was working on at the time uh, but i did feel that i had an inherent set of skills that would allow me to be successful as a leader as a manager and so my focus was always to achieve results through leading others uh, but i also knew that to do that effectively, I had to maintain my technical skills through the process so I could relate to everything others were going through and also build up a set of soft skills, uh, which included 
communication skills, uh, all sorts of other leadership skills that I talk about in the book, including uh, remaining humble, including being nice and helpful, including putting the team ahead of your own uh, results, including watching out not to lose your temper and and how to remain calm even in the most high pressure situations and and on and on i tried to distill these down because i do believe there is a basic recipe for success and engineers and technology folks are an interesting audience to focus on because so many of them focus so hard on purely technical skills they don't mm -hmm. learn a lot of these softer skills in university and they have to learn it on the go, those that focus on it. And, uh, and I realized that by really uh, focusing on building up these skills, there's a tremendous advantage that you can gain in achieving a level of success that surpasses your own expectations. And it doesn't mean not focusing on the core individual contributor skills that you need, but knowing that that is only about 10% of what you need to truly, uh, you know, achieve a level of success that you aspire to aspire to achieve. I, I'm getting podcast bombed right now. So that's why you're seeing all the little gestures over here. We have a big window. And so every time somebody walks by the studio, they can uh, look in and they were making faces at me. So I apologize. Yeah, no, not a problem. <laughs> it's the fun of being in a studio, right? <laughs> um, okay. So for those of our audience that don't know, what does STEM stand for? So, so STEM stands for for science, engineering, um, science, technology, engineering, and math, get the acronym right. And, you know, there are, are uh, somewhere in the order of 10 million STEM graduates globally every single year. And what motivated me to write the book was that many of these people who are entering the workforce have similar goals in terms of how to maximize their career success. Many of them aspire to become the technical leaders of our next generation, but they don't necessarily know how to achieve that level of success. One of my, my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell and in his Same. book, Outliers. Yeah. Isn't he great? Mm -hmm. And and you may or may not remember in his book, Outliers, he talks about this study, a scientific study that was done that basically uh, the summary of it was that if you have an IQ between 125 and 185, there, it has no bearing on the level of success that you will achieve. Success is determined by a wide array of skills but it is no longer impacted by your IQ, which to me meant you have to be smart, but you only have to be smart enough. And mm. once you've achieved a certain level of, of smartness or you have a certain level of intelligence, it really is a question of amassing a wider, wide array of additional skills uh, that can be learned, but you have to focus on if you want to achieve a level of success that, uh, that you know, surpasses perhaps your own expectations. 
That is so interesting. I did not remember that in the book about the IQ. And I love what you just said because, you know, it's interesting because, you know, like I know people that are Mensa certified and they're not any more successful than me or other people that I know, right? You know, that's an IQ of 161, I think. Totally right. I mean, I used to sit around and and I may have been a senior executive in a particular company and I would look around the people that I worked with and I just thought to myself, these guys are so much smarter than I am. Uh, but they lacked just either because you know, maybe their own limitations, although that's rarely the case, or more that they just chose not to focus on mm -hmm. building up an additional set of skills that would have allowed them to uh, to go further in their careers had they, you know, wanted to, or or thought about it more. And and uh, I just believe that that is true. And I think it's important to understand what they are understand what they are early enough that you can actually start to work on them early, mm -hmm. learn from your mistakes, try not to make the same mistakes over and over again, or even twice, and, uh, and, and, and then get better. And slowly you get, uh, you get much more uh, capable at so many different aspects that, um, that you maybe found yourself less capable in earlier in your career. Well, and I just want to point something out too, something that you know, kind of along the lines of what you just said, it might not be that success looks the same to this person over here as it does to me, right? They may be perfectly happy just rising to that senior accountant level or that, you know, manager level, but never going for that senior director level. And that's okay. Everybody has a different path. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I work with people all the time that they get to a certain level and they're like, I don't want that next level. I don't want that stress. So I'm happy right here. That's totally, totally true. And, and it, it's also true, I believe, that many of the skills that, that uh, enable you to move up should you desire to will also help you if you, if you choose not to. Mm -hmm. um, and you are happy with, with whatever job you're doing or whatever level you have ascended to. And, and I certainly understand as well as anyone that uh, there are good and bad with that that comes along with, you know, that moving to the next level, and 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 often it isn't it isn't uh, immediate satisfaction that comes from it. It's more headaches and 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 problems. But uh, but the skills you 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 work at at least enables you to move up should you desire to, and mm -hmm. and uh, should that be something you're looking for. Um, and, and I think there's a recipe for it. And, and that really was the motivation. After 37 years in corporate life, uh, I learned a lot. And you asked what the motivation was for writing the book. It was to distill those learnings down into some relatively easy steps uh, based on real experiences, real mistakes, lots of mistakes, trying hard not to make those mistakes over again and then just feeling myself getting better and better uh, in those areas that I was terribly weak in earlier in my career. Um, and I tell lots of stories about that to try to make it interesting and to try to make it relatable, whether to a technical audience or to 
a general a general audience. Well, and let's just debunk one, you know, thought about your book. You know, if I were to first look at this book, Decoding Your STEM Career, I would think, oh, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm not yeah. in technology. What, do you, what would you say to someone that says that? Well, uh, it, it, it certainly is, in my opinion, very relatable uh, to anyone. Um, you know, I think we all have our own perspectives and, and stories to tell. My stories happen to be stories that a technical audience may relate to a little bit better because the situations are the kinds of situations that they find themselves in every day. But the, the messages and the learning that comes out of the book certainly apply equally well to uh, any audience, any career that somebody is focused on. Uh, and I think maybe we can all learn better from uh, what, what technologists face sometimes, if for no other reason that we tend to frequently lack some of the skills uh, because we've been so focused on technology earlier in, in our careers that we, we don't focus on all of these other things. And, and it takes us a little longer to learn them, perhaps. And, <laughs> and certainly that was the case in my, in, in, for me. Yeah, I think I shared with you that my dad's an electrical engineer, so I know you. <laughs> yeah. I've been uh, trying to work through that all, uh, all my life. <laughs> So is he. The, I won't. T I won't yeah. comment on whether he's been successful or not yet. But you know, he's a great guy. My dad's the smartest man I know in my life. So, all right. So one of the goals of your book is to teach readers the capabilities to move up that career ladder, um, or move up early in their uh, move up the ladder in their career. If I can talk and reach their full potential, how did you discover these capabilities? Well, for for me. Uh, it, it really was uh, on the job, on the job training. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I was a good engineer, uh, maybe an above average engineer. I wasn't the best, uh, but I knew I had certain skills that, that others didn't have from a leadership perspective. So I was fortunate that I worked at IBM early in my career and IBM was maybe the best company on earth at the time to help train you in all sorts of uh, avenues of, of, uh, uh, of work and, this, and build up the skills that were naturally missing. So uh, communication courses, leadership courses, no one did it better than, uh, than IBM at the time. Uh, so I, I, I got on that train, if you will, and, and stayed there for about 10 years or so until I realized that I wasn't going to achieve my, my own uh, definition of success for myself at IBM. And I, I branched out and went to really, really small companies, mid-sized companies, super large companies. And at each one, I slowly started to discover a new set of skills that I wouldn't have been able to learn at any one of them alone. Uh, and I made a ton of mistakes. And, and honestly, I mean, it sounds, 
you hear that all the time that, that, oh, you learn better from your mistakes than you do from your successes, but it really is true. I mean, if you take those mistakes as learning opportunities uh, and then focus on getting better at them and focus mm-hmm. on not making the same mistake over again, uh, eventually you get, you get good at it. And, and that was the case for me. Um, and over a long period of time, uh, I got good enough at a broad enough array of skills that, that I felt actually compelled to write a book about it and, and to help others uh, figure out how to do the same thing. Well, a couple of things I just want to highlight that I, what I heard you say was that, number one, you took advantage of opportunities for growth that were available to you. And I think a lot of people don't you know, take that initiative or don't even know that that's out there, that their company offers that to them. So, you know, I would encourage people out there to ask your company what they're doing to help you grow, to help you improve, you know, outside of your normal duties. How are they helping you? Are they going to provide a coach? Are they going to let you take additional classes? You know, what are they going to do to help you continue to grow? And then the other thing I heard was that you were really not afraid to take a chance and fail, but also to make sure you learned from that failure. And so I think those are some really important points. Absolutely. And as a leader, and, you know, whether it was someone that was a leader of mine, or whether I looked at myself as a leader, we have to realize that your job in that capacity is to help others succeed and and grow and and achieve their maximum potential. And as an employee, if in your gut you know or you feel that that's not happening, you have to listen to your gut and mm. either figure out a way to make that happen wherever you are. And that's often the best move. Maybe there are stretch goals that that uh, that your manager or your leader um, puts before you that you. Uh, can grow from, maybe it's another job within the same organization, or maybe it's time to move. But, you know, one of my favorite quotes is your, uh, listen to your gut because it knows what your head hasn't figured out yet. And if, when we get that uncomfortable, when we get that uncomfortable feeling, uh, it is time to act. It doesn't have to be a major move, but think about it. Think what it is that is missing from your current job and how you can make it better. And don't be afraid to take a chance. Um, I've always found that even if the first move after you take a chance doesn't work out, and certainly for me, sometimes it didn't, it did always lead to some other place that itself led to another place that eventually led somewhere good and and better than, than where I would have been had I not taken that initial move. Yeah, I think that Probably, and I love what you're saying there, probably one of the things that holds a lot of people back from success is just that fear to take that step you're talking about. And you're right. I mean, you've got to be able to take that step and it may not be the step where you're going to land, but it might lead you to the next step or the next step. And that's what we're looking for in our careers is, you know, finding that next step, you know, but also knowing when is it, if ever, enough, you know, but... Yeah, and, and I think that gets back to listening to your gut again. It doesn't, listen to your gut doesn't just mean move, move up, move up, move up, move up. It also means 
I just realized I don't want this anymore. I'm not happy doing what I'm doing, um, but I need to make a change and I need to make a change in a different direction. I think when you do take a chance, the most important thing to do is to get a sense, have a sense of what it is that you're looking for and try to find a, a new opportunity that is as close as possible to that. You won't know for sure, but at least you've set some sort of a direction for yourself. And if that didn't quite work out, you can always navigate your way around and, and get a little closer with the next move. I love that. You know, it's so interesting. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast because I think I am definitely the uh, definition of a fluid career, you know, because I mean, I've gone in so many different directions in my life, which is fine, you know, but I have never regretted taking those steps that led me in a completely different direction, even away from my education, you know? And so I, you know, I love what I do and I encourage people that if they want to take that step in a different direction, don't let the fact that you went to school for one thing, but you really want to do this other thing, hold you back. Would you agree with yeah. that? I, I, I do. And the fundamentals are important. If I look at my career, I started out developing computer systems, hardcore computer engineering work. Uh, and then over time, I got a whole bunch of other opportunities, still engineering related. The mm -hmm. fundamentals were the same, but I honestly didn't know anything about the industry that I was getting into. I moved into telecommunications at BlackBerry, building um, software for mobile phones. And then I moved into logistics where we were uh, developing delivery systems for how to, how to effectively deliver products to doorsteps. And then I got into warehouse management and automation and robotics. None of these things were similar technologies really, but down at the very core, uh, they had some similarities. I learned how to learn over time, but what transcended everything else were the leadership skills, the communication skills, the, the desire to achieve something significant, uh, the ability to bring a team together and as a team ac accomplish something substantial, which ended up outweighing kind of the underlying core technical skills which I always focused on building up so that I was credible, but I never had to be the best at those things. I, I had to be, you know, a really, really strong communicator and, and, and leader. And when you focus on those things, it allows you to move from, you know, one industry to another industry with relative ease. Well, and, and we mentioned something earlier about, you know, the technology and how it's, you know, the face-to-face, -face. there's just no, you know, you can't, you can't replicate this in online settings, right? But I am curious if there's anything that you thought that was positive that came out of being part of a remote workforce or, you know, even the hybrid, you know, what do you, what do you see that's come out of that? Well, there's two, there's two huge positives. Um, number one, people like it, right? Mm -hmm. People like the flexibility of working from home, 
of not wasting an hour, two hours, three hours a day, uh, you know, on, <laughs> on the subway, stuck in traffic. Uh, it's here to stay. Uh, and it could be a hybrid environment where, where it's a couple of days a, a, a week in the office and three days a week at home. But I think the other real benefit is as a company, you can hire the best people. No longer are we limited to only joining a company that is located physically in our city. Uh, in many jobs, you can happily uh, take it despite the fact that everyone else is, is remote and, and often located in a different city or a different, a different country. So it allows corporations to start to hire the best people as opposed to the best people that happen to be located in their geographic area. Um, you know, that being said, uh, it's also important to overcome the limitations. Uh, I think it's, it's harder to uh, innovate. It's harder to think out of the box. It's harder to get those coffee maker discussions happening. Uh, and that's why it's so important using these tools to make everyone that is cooperating towards a larger goal feel like first-class citizens. You can't, you can't attend a meeting and somehow get less out of it because you were remote and three other people were in, in the same room. You know, likewise, you can't uh, feel that it's not worth going into the office because most people are remote anyway, and I'm not getting out and enough out of it. So using the tools effectively, uh, and these tools are amazing. Uh, what, you know, Teams and Zoom and Slack and, and you know, are, are capable of doing frequently, people don't know how to use them effectively. So we're not, uh, we're not getting everything out of them that we can. I mean, think about things like coffee maker discussions. It's okay to say there's a, there's a meeting set up. It's a one hour coffee maker discussion. If you happen to be free, uh, join in and, and we're just having off the cuff conversations. Um, you can pop in and out just like you would pop into the kitchen at work and have an off the cuff conversation with somebody that happens to be there. Uh, we need to be doing those things to try to get as much out of these remote tools as we naturally get out of face-to-face -face discussions, but often people don't think about it. And I think it takes leadership to really drive that uh, as, much as, as much as possible. I, you know what? I think that is probably the best idea that I have heard when it comes to remote work and remote teamwork, having like a virtual coffee, you know, where you can just pop in and out like you would. That is brilliant. Well, thank you. I'm not sure it's brilliant, but I appreciate it. I love it. The, uh, the, the, the one I remember one of the, I, I ran software at, at, at REM Blackberry uh, for many years. And I remember one of the sort of greatest innovations we came up with from uh, from an enterprise software perspective at the company just came out of a kitchen conversation that a young woman had with me telling me about this work that she was doing uh, on her own, on her own time. I thought it was 
a brilliant idea. I gathered a whole bunch of people together to review what she had done. And it always stuck with me that had I not gone into the kitchen that day and just had an off the cuff conversation with her, that feature would never have materialized because she kind of did it for herself as opposed to uh, for the company. But we ended up putting a lot of priority on it and it became a, a, a real featured um, capability of the uh, of the BlackBerry device that 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 uh, is part of the next release and always stuck with me and and something I tried to uh, tried to make sure we always did and something I even focused on in these remote environments. I love that. I love that. Well, we are about to the point where we wrap up our show, but of course. Um, I have to ask you our VIP questions, and I'm curious to see, because I think you're the first engineer I've had on the show, to see how your brain wraps its wraps around these questions. So, are you ready? All right. I'm ready. Okay. If you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Wow. Um, so... You know that's an interesting question because that 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 is is not me naturally. I mean, the thought of me, you know, going to a being a first one of the first colonists on on Mars, um, you know, frankly doesn't appeal to me. Uh, and I, I think it doesn't appeal to me because uh, I'm a people person and a family person, and and I don't. I, I can't even imagine sort of going to a going so far away and 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 being away from people that I, I care I, I care about so much and, and like to like to be with. Uh, so my wife, of course, I'd have to bring my wife with me and I hope she'd come with me so uh, she she would keep me sane and, and grounded at the at the same time being uh, being there. I would hope if there was a colony set up on Mars, there was a great set of communication satellites that were set up and, and, and we were able to communicate with people back on Earth. So my phone, my laptop, uh, ability to keep tabs on what's going on in, in the world uh, would be critical to me. And, and lastly, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a golf nut. So, so I would hope if we got to the point where we had a colony on Mars, I would also be able to bring my golf clubs up there. So uh, I could, if nothing else, keep practicing and, and getting better. I'd, be, uh, I'd become quite addicted to it. So I'd never be willing to give it up. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what happens when you hit the balls. Yeah. I don't know, but, but, but I, I would imagine there would be some sort of a dome that we could build there that had you know, earth level atmosphere. I'll say here's the in engineer there. kicking in. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, an indoor golf dome. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure they could construct. What if you broke me. the dome? Oh well, you know. And your golf balls. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Well, I, it's got to be Mars golf balls or so that uh, uh, don't go that fast or aren't that hard. That could be a whole rabbit trail right there, all by itself. So, okay. So, what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Uh, honestly, for me, it's about having the first thing I'd like to do in the morning is just, it can be a small thing, but I just, it's got to be something that I look forward. It, it might be just, I'm going to start my day having a, a great cup of coffee. It might be going out for breakfast. It might be, 
you know, having a conversation that I really want to have, or it might be sitting down and, and getting a piece of work done that I'm looking forward to getting done. But uh, I don't like to start any of my days unless it's something that I'm, I'm truly looking forward to getting, uh, to getting going. And that puts me in a good mood for the rest of the day and, and, uh, and, and more productive. I love that. Doesn't make you dread getting out of bed, huh? Exactly. I love it. So if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Headline, I don't know, but 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 I would say uh, that that whatever success that I achieved in my career uh, was was through the success of others, um, through a level of kindness, um, listening well, uh, and remaining humble uh, through mm -hmm. it through it all, and and. That's really what I've tried to focus on from from my throughout my career is how to achieve as much success as possible through other people. That's beautiful. How do people find you if they want to connect with you? Uh, so uh, my website, Pete Deveni at uh, Pete uh, and. I love hearing from people. Uh, I got all sorts of uh, interesting blogs, uh, articles, and uh, uh, various other engagements, and that that are that are posted there. and And they can contact me and love to hear from them. And I always respond. Um, so, so that's the easiest way. Very cool. Well, Pete, thank you so much for your time today on the We Are VIP podcast. This has been great. It's been a little bit different, but I think it was just enough different that it gives people a different way to look at their careers and look at ways to be very successful in their careers. So we really thank you for that. And I just have one last thing to say to you. You What's are a that? VIP. <laughs> As are you. And thank you so much for the opportunity to be on the show. I, I really did enjoy it, Casey. I, I thank you very much. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.